Well, I'm not a crook. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. I have a dream. All I ask of our brethren is that they take their feet off our necks. It transcends the senses. This is Murder of Grey. Well, hello and welcome to the Murder of Grey podcast. My name is Christian. I'm Chris. And welcome back, everybody. Thank you for joining us once again as we dive further into the recesses of our own mind to figure out how we tick. Yeah, it's been a while since we said that one, huh? (laughs) (laughs) But we are going to be looking at a very different kind of dilemma today. And it's uh, all about empathy and how we look at it nowadays with uh, technology expanding the way it is. We've definitely discussed AI to death, I would say. (laughs) We've done Mm -hmm. it a lot on this show. So we're going to be looking at a very different kind of technology. And this is one that's actually being used a lot by corporations lately for training modules and items like that to try and give people a real world experience without actually having to perform that task. And that, of course, is VR trainings, right? So we're going to be discussing VR trainings, VR videos, VR games, just the VR experience as a whole and how it is being used to create empathy, to show people how to respond in certain situations, to how it's helping with therapy uh, for like PTSD, anxiety, those kind of things. Even addiction disorders are being treated with VR nowadays. So it's kind of amazing to see where where VR has gone. And it's, you know, it's started with the, the virtual boy Nintendo, if you can even call that <laughs> <laughs> VR, where it's just a red light shining in your eyes. And now we have full immersive environments for you to go into and experience this stuff. But the big question that we want to try and come back to today, and maybe we'll figure out a an answer to this, maybe we won't, but we'll at least try and approach this in today's conversation, is does VR actually create a sense of empathy? Does it truly give you the experience of walking in someone else's shoes? Because when you look at it, and a lot of people I'm sure share this same mindset, where they think of VR still as video games or a gaming experience. So there is a sense of disconnect there. Now, there are games out there that create a very immersive environment for players to get absorbed into, and they can feel for the characters that they're playing. And if you, you know, we talk about that a lot on GlitchCube, our other podcast, about how immersive games can actually be, and how important story is to them, and how impactful they can be to the culture, right? But with I'm wondering for like the way VR is being marketed, it's being marketed to non-gamers and and non-gaming experiences, but it's still being looked at through those that mindset. So can it actually create an empathetic environment, one that's fully immersive that you can actually live that experience? Or are you just seeing it? And what's the difference between a VR experience and just watching a video on it, right? Like we can watch countless videos of people going to war. We can see those things on films and things and all of that. But does VR really put you in it 
are you in those boots, right? Are you being shot at? Are you really feeling the tension that's there? So we're going to kind of dive into it with a couple of these, uh, these little examples here. And I figure I'd start with one that uh, it kind of sparked this conversation, actually. And I heard about this on NPR when I was driving home the other day. And it's a game called Barnstormers, uh, Determined to Win. And it's a rather interesting experience uh, where it's a VR game and it's being coined as, as a game. It's a baseball game, right? But you're playing as players in the Negro League, the Negro Baseball League. And it's uh, actually made through the partnership with the Negro League Baseball Museum and Epic Games. Uh, Epic mm. Games actually gave them a grant to create this game, which is pretty fantastic. But it you're playing through the like the whole time when just racism was rampant through everything. So you get to play a baseball game and you can win and you can, you know, hear the crowd cheer for you. But then you also hear the racism that was there and rampant during that time. And you get to play as some baseball legends like Satchel Paige, Josh Gibson, and Buck O'Neill, which is amazing, right? Like, this is a great way to teach history to people and to really get them to experience something from a different mindset, one that we might not have really thought about too much, right? And it's it's kind of, it's, a, it's rather interesting, honestly, right? Like, and I, I'm just curious of how much the experience hits home, right? Uh, whether the racism really comes through. And if, let's say, you know, me or you play that game, we're both middle-aged white guys, like we can be empathetic towards racist comments, but does it actually resonate at that same level, right, for the way that these players felt during that time? I don't think they would because of how we grew up. Right. Like our upbringings were so different that our mindsets are not there where it might be. This might sound horrible. I'm not meaning it in a horrible way, but it might be easier for us to brush off those kind of comments. Right. Like, so I, I'm wondering, like, does this does that experience really hold true for everybody? And is this a right? Like, you know what I'm trying to say here? Like, it's kind of a it's a tricky one to try and navigate around. It's it's an interesting idea, and I think it's a topic that I feel never really gets brought up, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I don't really follow any sports, so I don't know how talked about like that was mm -hmm. and is, but I I think it's a very different and almost safe approach to addressing that compared to probably most other things you could do. Hmm. Um, you know, if it, this feels like a real situation that you would put yourself into versus maybe something in the modern times where it might feel more I don't want to say forced, but it might feel just not as natural. I don't know. It's, it's weird to say, but it's just like, 
it feel it feels like you're going in uncharted territory and it's 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 different mm-hmm. i don't know i i think it's a very good step in the right direction um for something like this because i mean nothing really has done anything like this like Mm-hmm. There, there's been a game like games that have maybe tried to address it, or at least one. I know the new, uh, the show is doing a, a campaign story on that same league, mm. but I don't right. think they're gonna make it as, as real or raw, right? Yeah. E- exactly, because you know it's that's a very touchy subject and. A lot of them, because a lot of money is put into it, are afraid to jump into that. So something like this that shows the reality of these stories, it's it's impactful. You know, it's it's stories that need to be told, voices that need to be heard. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like you said, you know, it's it's hard to kind of understand that as like a white person. But I think stuff like this can at least kind of it's hard to say because you don't have the fear when you hear it Mm -hmm. right Right. so unless there was a way to capture that fear with it i mean i feel like this might be the closest you could get but it's it's hard to really say because i mean everyone's so different you know Mm -hmm. it's but I, I'm kind of, I'm really, I don't say fascinated by this, but intrigued. And I feel like you could really do a lot with this kind of like path kind of with other subjects too, in the same kind of vein, right? Yeah. Well, this is actually, uh, so Derek Ham is the creator of Barnstormers and he actually made another VR experience. It's called I Am a Man. And uh, it the setting is very similar, right? It's telling history through the eyes of African-American culture. But it's set during the 1968 Memphis sanitation worker strike and the events leading up to the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And so you're living the experience of the strike of the riots, of the assassination of Martin Luther King. And it's it it's telling that whole story through VR. And, you know, he has a quote here that says, you know, VR can tap into the emotions of the user and tell a much richer story. So I guess from the studies that he's done, I mean, he has a PhD uh, in his in um, graphic design, I believe. He's an assistant professor of graphic design at North Carolina State College of Design. And, you know, he's he's really tapped into something rather interesting here where I, I guess he's seeing a lot of success with people sympathizing and understanding what it feels like through VR. So, I, I mean, it has to, I mean, it has to be doing something right. right? Like there there has to be something to this. Otherwise, why would he continue working on projects like this? But it's uh, that one to me seems very fascinating. Uh, maybe fascinating is not the right word, but it's it, like to be able to actually tell because we can read about this stuff in history books all we want. But does it resonate with everyone? Probably not. 
actually being able to walk around in a town because you know a lot of people say that vr is an incredibly realistic experience where you know you move your head and you're moving your character's head you walk around and you feel like you're actually walking i can't do it too much so i never feel immersed in vr because i get sick <laughs> even in the vr trainings that we did at work at one point i got very sick while doing those but those were <laughs> kind of silly right it's vr in a grocery store it's like whatever uh but <laughs> this i can see how this can be more of a just a better way of telling history through the eyes and through the real emotions of the individuals that we are discussing. Right. And it can't, it could just, it could be for anything and really put people into that kind of experience in that kind of world. And <clears throat> I'm, I'm rather curious because, you know, schools are going to start incorporating VR more into their teachings, right. With meta and everything like that, trying to get into the education field so I, I feel like more experiences like this are going to be around. And does that mean that I, I'd be curious to see like a study 20 years from now to see if uh, individuals are more empathetic than they were 20 years prior, right? Than our group. Because, uh, you know, there's uh, we can have empathy, but it doesn't mean that we can say that we live that experience, right? And with this, mm -hmm. I feel like you can trick your brain to feeling that you actually live through that experience and have, tr have true sympathy and true empathy towards something if you're able to really dive into this VR world. And, you know, there's a lot of people that really do get sucked into the VR world and it's they have full lives in them. And that's one of the fear of meta too, right? Like of people becoming incredibly immersed in this world to the where you kind of disassociate from reality. So can the movements of VR trigger realistic memories within your brain? I, I'm very curious about that. I would be um, interested in seeing what that's going to do to us in the future, for sure. I'm trying to think if I've ever had an experience where I've really felt immersed in VR. And it's like... Mm. It's hard to say because I, I feel like as someone who plays games, it's kind of hard to disconnect myself from not feeling like in a game just because the visuals in VR usually are not the best looking. Mm -hmm. But I know like there's those like 360 like YouTube videos where it feels like you're in a roller coaster and stuff like that. And it kind of feels realistic. Mm -hmm. Um, for me, like the hot air balloon ones from back in the day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel yeah. like it's in order to make myself feel like I'm actually there in a scene, you know, it's like, I have to have a fan blowing at me. So I feel like there's wind on me, like I'm moving and whatever I'm doing, mm -hmm. like it, it's an, ex it's a trip, right? You have to wear headphones. Like it's. It's a process, but I don't think I've ever felt like truly in a world. Mm -hmm. I feel like like when I played uh, Resident Evil 8 in VR, I, I got sucked in. And to an extent, I almost felt like I was in it because the uh, controls, like, it, it felt like a gun. Like it felt like I was actually doing the movements. It felt pretty real for the most part. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it's like, I still like, didn't feel like 
I don't know. I, I guess it's hard because, like, with scary stuff, it's kind of easy to get lost into it. But, mm-hmm. you know, then you look at very, like, you look at metaverse stuff and it's like, oh, we're we're looking at visuals that look like they're from 20 years ago. You right. know, like it doesn't feel real. Like, you have to let your imagination go. And I think mm-hmm. with a lot of stuff with VR, it, that's the thing. Like, how far can you push your imagination to make something seem real mm-hmm. right now I, I think the immersive 360 videos are probably the most i have felt like in something right like because uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it's i mean it's a realistic setting right and actually there's a, another vr experiment that was done recently to kind of create some uh different type of empathy and it was uh, her name is Jennifer Flores, and she actually welcomed people into her home uh, through an immersive 360 video. And her home is in LA's Echo Park. She was uh, a homeless woman, and she like they made an entire immersive VR experience of what does it feel like to live in a tent in Echo Park? What what does it feel like to be on edge? And hear noises around you about, you know, like, of what what you don't know is out there, right? And it's, it's kind of, it's a terrifying thing. And um, I guess this 3D augmented reality experience uh, uses the social media app Snapchat uh, to actually place you in Flores's tent, which is kind of fascinating. Um, hmm. And it's part of the Homeless Realities Project. Uh, it's led by... Uh, it's led by a professor, Robert Hernandez, uh, who's at USC. And his, him and his students created this virtual reality um, in order to tell stories and show people uh, about this stuff. And he actually has a whole class on this, which is kind of fascinating. Uh, and it's called Journalism, but it's, well, I, I don't know how you would actually pronounce it because the U and the R in journalism are replaced with VR. So it's Javronism. So it's, you know, it, it's it's an interesting class or interesting concept for the class itself. But uh, it's, a, it's a very different way of showing this kind of stuff to the world, which is pretty fascinating. And to use something like Snapchat in order to put people into that or to share these immersive 360 videos uh, is, is kind of fascinating, right? Like, so at any point in time, you can just kind of tap into this and see what it's like and it and and experience it. And, you know, obviously you're going to be sitting at home in your in the comforts of your home going through this. So like while, yeah, you can f- see what it might be like to live in this kind of environment. Once again, I have to ask the question of are you really gaining empathy for this individual? Or is it now becoming more of like a film experience? Right. Oh, I, that's what I'm trying to wonder. I think it would at least open people's eyes to what it's kind of like. Mm-hmm. Because how, how often have people not only, like most people just drive by, you know, an encampment mm-hmm. or just walked by them they've never 
been inside their space, right? They've never been in their shoes. Like they never, they never see what a day is like. Mm-hmm. They just walk by. This at least kind of shows you a little bit of what it's like. It may not make you feel like you're there, but it can at least show you like, hey, this is what it's like, at least for me. And mm. this is something I was thinking about um, after you were saying some of that stuff. And I was like, it's more about making people aware of something in a different way than just through text or say mm. through a YouTube video. Like for me, I've been really interested in this is going to sound dumb, but like people driving in like rural towns, right. Or mm. very small abandoned towns across the U S because I would never really go there, you know, but it's, I'm interested in it. I want to, um, I'm, it's cool to learn about a life that, you know, people once lived there. Mm-hmm. And that's how I think with VR is that it's kind of the same thing as that. It's an experience that you wouldn't think about, but if you have any kind of curiosity on what that life is like, it's probably the best way of showing you without actually putting you there in that situation. Mm-hmm. And I think at the end of the day, like, yeah, it may not feel like you're really physically there, but if you can put yourself mentally in that place and understand, you know, even if you're not empathetic, even if you're just curious morbidly or in general and just want to see what it's like, at least, at least there's something, right? Because I feel like a lot of times, say there's there's some youtubers i watch sometimes that will go to like where the unhoused are and stuff like that and kind of like interview them and film them and stuff but it's never like we're spending the day with them and Mm -hmm. even if they do it's like it's not like you live there with them for an extended amount of time but if we're able to be in vr and be kind of immersed in like what their daily life is like Mm -hmm. or maybe some of the struggles that they go through like what does it feel like at night right yeah the the years of that because yeah you're right a lot of videos and interviewers they're there for maybe an hour yeah it's not you're not getting the full experience so yeah and it, it even watching those videos like even if they were there it's not like it would feel real whereas at least in vr it has that like mask of okay like oh man like this kind of feels more real than just watching a movie or you know a video so mm-hmm. i don't know i think this is it's a really interesting idea it it's something i never would have thought of like i mean looking at it now yeah I mean, you can really do this with any kind of thing but yeah yeah and there's there's quite a few other projects out there like project empathy they're making a lot of films uh, that have to deal with different kind of situations, uh, it, like uh, living in the prison system. What's it like for that? Right. Like they're and these uh, VR experiences are like going to a movie theater. So they're in a room with a lot of people 
Uh, you put on a VR set and uh, you have the headphones and everything, and you experience a VR film of what it's actually like to go through these different kind of situations. And uh, they they go across the country, and they've been doing it since I believe like 2017, uh, expressing these kind of things. And and they you know it's very high production value, which is nice to try and get people more involved in it and more empathetic towards these situations. So it it's a uh, it's very interesting to see this this kind of stuff. But VR can do much more than create an empathetic environment for people to learn in. Uh, it can help deal with things like PTSD, anxiety, and all of like other mental illnesses as well. But if it can also treat those things, can it also, if someone's not dealing with it and they watch a, uh, like, let's say they go through the same or witness the same videos that someone who's dealing with PTSD is going through, can that help them create an empathetic uh, viewpoint on PTSD and see it from a different light, right? And I, I find that rather interesting. Uh, now, this kind of therapy is known as exposure therapy or immersion therapy. And it's not anything new. It's something that has been going on for quite a while. It actually was adopted early in the 1900s uh, by, and it has its roots with uh, Ivan Pavlov and John Watson. Um, some people might recognize Pavlov's name from his classical conditioning uh, test that he ran and where he conditioned dogs to salivate whenever they heard the sound of a bell, right? And I'm sure some people heard of that. And obviously, there's a lot of controversy with Pavlov's experiment as well of the mistreatment of the animals uh, mm -hmm. being left in cages for too long until they actually salivated. And a lot of, you know, like, is that actually what they're responding to is the bell and everything, right? So, but in around 1924, a behaviorist, uh, Mary Cover Jones, uh, kind of brought the field closer to what we know of as exposure therapy today with uh, her studies on counterconditioning, uh, where it's, you know, the idea that, uh, that you're able to change unwanted or learned responses and change them into something that's a more desirable learned response, right? So it's, and she did this with uh, comfort food and pleasurable experiences to, and to uh, gradually erase, it didn't fully erase this boy's fear of rabbits. Apparently this kid had a really massive fear of rabbits and they were able to <clears> actually kind of get over that through uh, associating rabbits with comfort food and pleasurable experiences, right? So through the exposure of the rabbits and this other stuff, they were able to kind of manipulate the mind further, which is pretty fascinating. And then much later in 1958, Joseph Wolp, uh, he developed another technique uh, using relaxation training uh, in order to help expose or expose people to uh, reduce their sensitivity to situations that they dread, right? And like after that, then there is in the 70s, Stanley Rackman developed exposure and response prevention uh, while working with people experiencing obsessions and compulsions. And the, it was around there, that's whenever the term exposure therapy really started to kind of come up. So while it has its roots with Pavlov's dogs in the early 1900s, it wasn't until around the 70s that the idea of exposure therapy was, um, at least that term wasn't really like coined or used. But we've been doing things similar to that ever since the 1900s. 
where, you know, with uh, VR, we're able to put people in situations like let's say someone has anxiety, right? You find out what is that trigger and then you put them in a VR experience so that it's safe and you're kind of, you're reminding them. And that's, this is where I find it kind of counterintuitive to the empathy side, right? Because you ha you're reminding the patient that you are safe, you're not actually there. You you can have you can help them disassociate from the overall threat or whatever it is that makes them anxious. But you're exposing them to that situation item thing or whatever it may be, right? And they're gaining a a, a disassociative understanding that this thing cannot actually harm me, right? And that's supposed to help lower their anxiety, and it's hap it does have really good success. Uh, it sh uh, studies have shown that exposure therapy has a sixty to ninety percent success rate. Um, whether it's to helping with anxiety, helping with addiction, or helping with PTSD, so it's a it's a pretty it's pretty successful program when it comes down to it. But you're teaching these patients to disassociate from the VR experience. And to me, that sounds like you're reminding people that what you're experiencing can't, is not harmful, right? Or it's not real. And then we have these other VR therapies that are coming in that are designed to trick the brain into feeling like this is a real situation. So it's it's kind of battling each other in in the same vein where we are exposing people, like, for instance, with Barnstormers, we're exposing people to the rampant racism that happened during that time for these baseball players. But they were able to push through and keep playing and better their craft and better their game, right? That's kind of the whole point of that, that one. But then you come to, like, anxiety therapy, which is using the same exact tools, and you're exposing them to the things that make them anxious, but then you're reminding them that it's okay, you don't have to feel anything for this because it's just VR, right? So we're using exposure therapy, even though people might not say that, like the Project Empathies or right, the um, visiting the home of a homeless person in Echo Park, like that's, it's not this, it, it to me, it's the same but different, right? I guess it's two sides of the same coin because mm -hmm. it, it still is exposure therapy just being phrased or delivered in two very different ways. One where you're telling the viewer this is real important and you need to focus in on every detail and get immersed in it. And the other one where you're telling the user it's okay to disassociate a little bit from this, right? But be present right like i don't know it's kind of uh interesting it, it is kind of a weird thing that i found whenever i was uh looking up some more vr stuff and how it's being used today so i think exposure therapy through vr is really smart because while yes in the back of your mind you probably are like oh well, it's not real I'm pretty sure if you have a very big fear of whatever it is you're being exposed to, even virtually people will be affected. I mean, there's even games now that have a, an arachnophobia mode where it turns the spiders into like little blobs 
Yeah, like the marshmallow mode in Grounded. Yep, that's yeah. exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. But uh, more games are doing it. And there's even some games where they have like a philosophobia mode where they turn off the water. I think oh. the new Horizon DLC did that or something recently did that. Uh, How does that's interesting. Yeah, I actually never ended up following up and looking at it, but I I heard that that was actually something they were implementing, and I'm like, that's really fascinating um, that you can do that, and it wouldn't break the game. But so it shows that even if you're playing like a video game where it's not like you know immersive, right? It's not on a virtual 3D plane in the sense that it's strapped to your head people can still be fearful of the situations, right? Because a lot of people do get immersed in these kind of things. So battling it through VR would only amp that feeling, I think. Mm -hmm. And especially if you kind of put yourself to make it feel more real, kind of like for me, I feel like, my fear would be walking down like a house at night and it's dark and you have to go through the the hallways, right? So you have to and play PT in VR? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> honestly, this, the, the, you joke, but I'm like, damn, like that would actually freak me out. Like, even if okay. it's like, even if there's no creature there, right? Like, mm -hmm. just going around a house at night, can't really see anything. Or, and when you do, you know, like for me, I always had an issue where sometimes around corners or like if I'm sitting here and I look at a corner, I feel like I can see some kind of like black shadow kind of like, it looks like it peeks out or something. Mm. Um, I used to have this a lot as a kid. I used to freak myself out a lot. And I, I had a really big fear of that. I had a big fear of things I couldn't see around the corner, especially mm. at night. So for me, if I was to do that in VR, right, put a fan on me so I feel like I'm, like, in a house, right, mm -hmm. walking, uh, have, like, nice headset to make it sound like, you know, you hear yourself walking, you have your footsteps. I mean, you can even do it where you have to walk, right, or you can walk and make it feel realistic. That would scare the shit out of me, <laughs> you know, like, if. I was in that situation of trying to be exposed to that. Like even just thinking about it right now, I'm like, oof. As someone mm -hmm. who's played Resident Evil Seven, that game kind of came close in some ways to being like not too much for me, but it was just like the the threat of walking in a house and feeling like you're unsafe really got to me. Mm -hmm. And uh so having a more realistic version that's not a game, I I think would affect me a lot differently. And at least in VR, it's a safe experience, right? No one's going to get hurt. You know, you'll get scared. But at least you're not being physically hurt or anything that the situation arises in the VR. So mm -hmm. I think for me, it's maybe one of the best ways to go about exposure therapy you know that way you don't have to put yourself in a possibly dangerous situation but 
Yeah, I think unless you have a fear that you would need to be exposed to to get over it, I feel like, yeah, a lot of people probably wouldn't think of it really being as beneficial versus doing the thing in real life. Right. Yeah, I mean, the the VR therapy definitely seems like it is going in the right direction. And it is a very interesting field as of right now because there's a lot that we can actually do with this. We can really put people into other shoes. Uh, they can actually walk a mile in them, right? Like you can, it, it, it feels like we're, we're definitely moving in the right direction. Is it a perfect right now? No, definitely not. Um, is it creating true empathy within individuals? I don't know. Right. And I, I think that it can, um, but I, I don't know if it's fully immersive enough to do so just yet. But at least it's introducing us to concepts that we might not deal with on our day to day basis. I mean, hell, there's even VR therapy or trainings or however you want to look at it for trans member or trans individuals to use the bathroom. Right? How does it actually feel to go to the bathroom in which for the sex that you feel comfortable in, but it's not the one that society feels like you should be going to, right? Like they, they have that or even ones for teens to go to pregnancy centers and to be looked at by individuals, right? And to feel the judgment from everyone around you. So like the, that kind of stuff can be very powerful uh, because it's something that a lot of us would not think about or how or know how to react in that situation so maybe it will teach us how to react properly not just to like if we're ever in that situation but for others that are dealing with that situation right now so i it as a tool to help society out i think it's fantastic i think we're doing some amazing work with vr uh if we can get over the motion sickness thing i think we'd be getting a lot more people on board which it seems like they're doing a much better job at it. I, I still can't do it. <laughs> Even with the newest ones, I still can't do it. But it doesn't mean that I'm not empathetic towards other people's situations. But I feel like it would at least give us that that mindset of how to properly react to someone who's dealing with that stuff. The right tools in place, I guess, would be the best way to put it. But yeah. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us this week. We hope you guys have enjoyed our little conversation here into VR therapy uh, and VR empathy, right? I guess it's the best way to put it. And what do you guys think? Do you think VR can actually create empathetic situations for individuals? Do you think it's genuine empathy that we are experiencing or is it just learned behaviors on how to react to certain things? What do you guys think? Let us know. Uh, but with that, we'll talk to you guys on the next episode when we dive further into our own world, our own minds, uh, through crazy, weird moral dilemmas that we find. But until then, bye for now.